Hello, I'm Bruce Malcolm, and this is Denise Malcolm. We're proud to share with you this podcast series, Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Malcolm Foundation. Each episode will feature practical insights on how to teach your child safety in our world today. We will help parents and carers understand and navigate the challenging world of child sexual abuse. What child sexual abuse is, the behaviours and signs to be wary of, and how to respond if you are worried about this with children you know. Our host, Walkley Award-winning journalist Nance Haxon, will talk with survivors, parents, leading researchers and professionals working on the front line in this area to give you the tools and resources you need. It's time for difficult conversations on this hidden topic. This podcast talks openly about child abuse, child sexual abuse, child sexual exploitation and harmful sexual behaviours. We are aware the content raised in this podcast series may be triggering by some listeners. There are links in our show notes for organisations that can support you. Please feel free to take a breather when you need it. Today on Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation, we're speaking with newly appointed Australian Federal Police Commander Helen Schneider about her work in the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, better known as ACE. Last year, the centre received 33,000 reports of child exploitation through its triage unit, and this year is expecting that number to rise even further. In this episode, Commander Schneider talks about the AFP's Think You Know program, which for the past 10 years has helped prevent online child exploitation. She gives tips on how parents and carers can keep track of the apps and games that young people use that can make them vulnerable and how wary they need to be of the dangers, particularly online grooming, sextortion and sexploitation. Helen Schneider, thank you so much for joining us on the Keeping Kids Safe Bright Futures podcast for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Firstly, we should congratulate you on your recent appointment to head up the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation. Congratulations. Thanks. It's a real honour, actually. Um, And the other part of my remit is human exploitation. So it's great to be back in victim-based crime again. I just wonder how many parents would even know about this centre. Do you find that? Is there more knowledge about this special work that you do? I think it's growing, but I think there is still a lot of parents out there that don't realise the benefits or the assistance that the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, or the ACE as we affectionately call it, can provide them. Um, And the ace.gov.au website and the AFP's Think You Know website is just full of tools and tricks and facts uh, to help parents navigate child safety online. So in this particular episode we're really focusing on children over the age of five years old. What are the the main areas that ACE deals with there that where you see children being exploited? There's a range of different things that the ACE does. So we're the national triage point. So so the ACE has a child protection triage unit which is staffed by uh, child protection investigation specialists. So if parents or individuals report anything involving child sexual exploitation, it comes through to that team. And wherever that's occurring in Australia, we will we'll then refer that out. We might refer that to our AFP jacket teams <laughs> or we might refer to it just wholly and solely to a state and territory partner. If there's 
there's no Australian offender or victim involved, then it wouldn't come to us. This is only things that come to us where there's an Australian victim or offender implicated, if that makes sense. So what role really can parents and carers play in this space? I think so many of us, myself being a mum as well, we're just overwhelmed with how much are we meant to do? Where can I start? There's a lot of things you can do. And look, as I said, I'll talk you through a couple of ideas, but check out the thinkyouknow.org.au website. But essentially, supervision is the starting point because, and I often say this, you you don't send your five-year-old or your young child down to the park to play on their own, to talk to strangers, and the online world is equally a playground. So we've got to supervise our kids. And supervision might be different for different families. So it might be that you might employ some technological tools to help with supervision, like privacy settings and location settings and making sure how they're set. But we would recommend a holistic approach, putting some kind of frameworks around how children are engaging online. Some of the other things I would say is just be aware of what are some of the red flags, and I can talk you through some of those, but I just also highlight that it's really important to be supportive if your child comes forward. What we don't recommend doing is that whole issue where you can't use devices anymore because children might not be encouraged to come forward if they think they're going to lose their devices. So just be aware about having those conversations that are age appropriate with your children about online safety and like I said there's tools online to help you begin those conversations and have those conversations regularly because a child's journey online will change over time and you know we'll keep updating our tools and websites with what we're seeing and and how to navigate that so keep having those conversations so it's always in the forefront of your child's mind and and empower them to be a critical thinker you know if this doesn't feel right to me it's not right I would, would, would say that to any person if something doesn't feel right for you it's probably not right You've just given a great presentation for us here at the Daniel Morecambe Foundation launch of their Bright Futures program. And there were a couple of things that really stuck with me there, but one of them was that importance of even just one parent coming forward. Can you tell us a bit about that? That was incredible. That And the difference that made in preventing so many other children from being exploited. Yeah. So one of the trends we're seeing really since last year is what we're calling sextortion. And uh, for those who don't know, sextortion is where someone, I guess, blackmails or coerces or tricks someone into providing sexualised images of themselves. And then uh, what we're seeing is this financial element now. So what what they're doing is asking those individuals who provided that material to them to actually pay money or they threaten to release those images to publicly to their, their circle of friends and family and that creates a lot of I guess uh, feelings of shame and embarrassment for those individuals and part of that offending is is about discouraging those victims from coming forward and taking advantage of those feelings of those individuals. So what, what we're about as police is saying, come forward, you are a victim, we can help you. Don't pay money, come forward, speak to your parents. Um, what we're seeing is until people come forward, it's quite often that these individuals, organised crime groups, are actually targeting circles of friends on the same group so you know if you're potentially a victim of sextortion probably people in your friend group could be being targeted as well so if you don't come forward there's a risk that other people will be targeted by these individuals and all these little sort of bits of money in 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 our minds build up to be 
a huge amount of money that has gone overseas already. That's right. So what we, on average, we were seeing that children would probably pay up to about $300, and obviously children have limited funds, Ooh. before they actually come forward and it gets too impossible for them to keep paying this blackmail. So that's a lot of money. Uh, I think we'd seen about 380000 but we see this as a very underreported crime, like one in 10, we suspect. So if you, if you times that by 10, that's a lot of money that's Ooh. going offshore. So as I'd say to a parent, if you know, one way to monitor is monitor your children's accounts. Uh, we engage with the financial sector as well. Like we don't, we want them to be aware of what could be signs of this. Young people coming in, opening accounts, wanting to transfer money, uh, things like that. So what I would say is, if you're a parent, just keep an eye on accounts. If there's a change in your child's behaviour when they're online, if they want to go in and start using their their devices in private, things like that might be a red flag you know to you but I just say to your children if someone is uh, talking to them online and all of a sudden they're getting friends requests from people they don't know or people wanting them to go to encrypted sites where there's video sharing or file sharing capability just be cognizant that that could be suspicious behavior keeping those communication lines open because that one child who did have the courage to go talk to his father that led to quite a big breakthrough. So that was an operation called Op Askelin and that was an example where a, a father's son came forward to him and said, look, this has happened to me. Obviously very embarrassed. but that Very father, brave. Very mm. brave. Mm. And what happened from that particular example that uh, you're talking about is uh, we went on to actually identify that individual from the screenshots and uh, usernames and that that the father collected for us. And uh, we were able to subsequently find that offender and from his device, Devices that were seized, we like, we found and identified a further 54 victims, and we were able to put a stop to that. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, and you got to remember this is a borderless crime. So these people can not only be our vulnerable children in Australia, but our vulnerable people across the globe. Unfortunately, so. Um, it's really important to come forward. It can be hard to do, but we are very, very supportive. We, we make that very clear. We take a victim-centric approach. Um, in law enforcement, you are a victim and we want to help you. And you'll be believed. You will be believed. And uh, we also put on our websites a lot of support services that you can tap into if you have been a victim of this. But don't despair because even the eSafety Commissioner has opportunities and powers there to remove content. One thing I discovered with the Think You Know website, which I found really interesting, was busting some of the myths that even for me as a you know, streetwise journo, uh, <laughs> thought, thought I knew pretty much about this. But there are just some common assumptions that really aren't. True, I was just going to go through a few of those if I could. Yes, You know, that online sex offenders are always online strangers. I think you've got to be um, cognizant that you just don't even know who you're talking to online and people might target people because of things they know about individuals and so you never know where those connections might be. And also that high school-aged children are more at risk? Yeah, I think one of a common myths that parents say is that they don't have to worry about it till the children are at high school age. And, and that's not true at all. And it's associated to the myth that we see that games aimed at children, online gaming aimed at children is safer. Uh, any game or any kind of application or online activity where there is that internet connection or uh, chat function, there's that potential for risk. And when you think about it, every app has a chat function and is that really where that risk lies because that's where the connections are I, I think so that's mm. what we're seeing because online grooming and this is probably an important note for par- mm. parents to understand about the law online grooming is often 
is well all really in that initial conversation so parents need to appreciate that there is no need for any kind of physical contact between an offender and your child for them to be able to call the police and report something so it's all in a conversation so that's where you need to look at games that your children might be playing so really uh, start to educate yourself what is my child doing online you know does this game have a chat function is the chat function needed to play the game for example and if it is maybe it's about don't be sharing any of that private information about yourself if someone starts asking you about private information about yourself then be careful, that could be a red flag. Maybe let us know. And also that it's only females that are at risk seems to be a big myth. No, that is a massive myth. And um, as we've seen from the sextortion trend, as I was discussing in my presentation, uh, 95% of victims uh, are male. So it's actually the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. So the methodology we're seeing is that uh, the organised crime syndicates are posing as young females and then targeting young males. And the age group most affected is 13 to 17 years. But if you jump on the Think You Know website, mm. there is a, a blackmail kit, like what to do if you're being blackmailed and what not to do. So um, this, like, if you find yourself in that situation, just jump online if you're a parent or a victim and you'll see some advice straight away about things you can do in real time. Obviously collect what kind of evidence you can about screenshots and things like that, but certainly block that individual and don't pay any money. And also that parental controls and privacy settings are enough to keep our young people safe? Well, I think our young people are far more tech savvy than us, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, and that's why we would encourage parents to regularly maybe check those privacy settings if that's what they're relying on. And I think that's why you just can't solely rely on those things because they can be changed back. And, and, you know, that's where that holistic approach around having regular conversations, supervision, what's a red flag, you know, what could be suspicious behaviour, having those conversations around what's appropriate behaviours online, not sharing images that might be revealing or illicit or sexual in nature. We don't want our children becoming victims to image-based abuse or anything like that. So, um, and, and to support each other if you do find yourself in that situation. And you touched on it before, that online grooming, it's just so frightening, but there's also an assumption, I think, that it's a really long process and that there's time for us to, to intervene. Yeah. It's not always the case. No, it's not the case. And what I would say to parents is, and carers and trusted adults out there is what we're seeing is it's really quite a quick process. These people are very astute in, in their manipulation of, of victims and, and playing a role online. So what I would say is don't underestimate how quickly they can uh, manipulate your child into thinking they are a genuine friend and lure them into what could be a, an encrypted site where they can discuss things privately and things like that. So we look at online technology-enabled crimes and adults can be tricked quite easily. So our children, of course, are going to be able to be tricked and uh, people are going to take advantage of innocent people. What about for children in more remote areas? You've got a national approach. I just wonder, are they? do you find, are they safer? Is this just across the board? I think we can't ignore the fact that it's across the board. I think if children have access to devices, then they're, they're at risk of this kind of trend or, or offending. Where you have, I guess, communities that are, might be a bit more remote, it might be that, I guess, the risk of child exploitation might, and, and I don't want to generalise here, but, you know, if people have limited access, it 
to the online world, it might limit their risks to, I guess, online child sexual exploitation. But I don't think it's any less important for those children to be having exposure to these conversations from their parents and carers around online safety because within schools there's growing technology. You know, they might go to a friend's house and use technology. They might travel for a holiday and use technology. We need to be prepared and help them be prepared. You know, we talk to our children about stranger danger and things like that. Uh, you know, we need to consider their, I guess, the safety in their physical world equally with the safety in their online world. It just sounds like it's exploded in the last 18 months, this sexual exploitation area particularly. What, what do you think is behind that? Is it the improvements in in online speeds and technology? Yeah, well, I, th I certainly think, you know, the internet, for all its positives, and it does provide children mm. a lot of positive environments and a lot of pro uh, positive experiences. So I don't take away from that. But I would say that, obviously, uh, the, the growing sophistication of the online world certainly provides those people who are sex offenders, that anonymity and privacy, um, they need to enable them to do this kind of offending. Um, I think that COVID potentially pushed more people into an online space that maybe were not operating in line, but they're potentially harming in other ways. Look, I think we are becoming I would like to say more sophisticated at identifying it, but we're encouraging more and more victims to come forward and come to the ACE website, report abuse. We've been really vocal in educating people about what to do. And so it is possible we're seeing an increase in that reporting because of all our efforts around the removing the stigma away from it and encouraging people to come forward. And so I, I'd much rather that happen than we see a decline in numbers and, and know that there's potentially victims out there not getting help or, like I said before, one victim can save so many other victims. It's really about dismissing that element of shame. That is that is what helps these predators to thrive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, and they actually pr prey on that. You know, they prey on the embarrassment of that to actually give effect to their offending. So, um, you know, we're very vocal about that, that you are a victim, we will believe you, you will get help. And often when police go around and, and have these conversations with parents, a lot of it's about the education piece. We're here to tell you how to get help and what to do. And what I would say for those parents over, you know, with children over the age of five, where you want to start having these conversations, it's a bit tricky. We've got Jack Changes the Game, which is aimed from five to eight-year-olds. It's a book? It's a book. It's a children's book. And it's based on a real scenario that we saw re reported through the ACE. Okay. So, and what it's about is just, you know, helping families families and children work together and there's some activities and things that are associated with Jack Changes the Game. The ebook is available on, on the Think You Know website. Just to, you know, it's a soft way to start having that conversation with your young children. So consider that as a, I guess, a great introductory tool. Sounds like we need to put uh, all us parents and, and people who who love and have kids in their life and are trying to protect them too. There's plenty of us, but just have that Think You Know website on our favourites, I think. Um, I noticed you've had Think You Know going for about 10 years, but goodness, there's been a lot of evolution in that time, but your, your programs have also evolved with it. There's quite a suite of yeah. things that you can offer parents. Yeah, so Think You Know, I think it's 14 years now. They kicked wow. off in 2009 and mm. um, what they do, they update the curriculum or their material every year so it maintains currency but they also do it 
I guess what we would call a typical police term out of session in the sense that like when we do see an emerging threat um, like we saw with sextortion then we jump into action and we start you know getting tools on there putting ads on social media reaching out to education you know schools directly to make sure that everyone's aware this is happening so yeah so there's an opportunity there to be very responsive because they are based within the ACE and they're able to tap into those operational policing trends we're seeing. And I suppose you must be encouraged as much as it's also disheartening in a way but to see that explosion in the number of people reporting to your triage unit too that must be incredible to try and organise that. Yeah so at the moment our triage unit uh, we, we're just increasing to two teams actually and we're, we do work around the clock because we're very conscious of, um, particularly with sextortion, what we're, some of those international trends we've seen of self-harm and suicide unfortunately internationally. Um, there's some statistics to suggest that can happen within the first four hours. So what we, we try and be quite responsive to that reporting um, to make sure people are all, all right and we can direct them to kind of resource uh, support resourcing that they need. But I think it is a comfort to parents and victims when they can ring up and actually talk to someone who can give them some practical advice and um, can talk about them what to do and, and, and tell them what not to do equally important and um, report it and uh, like I said they're going to be saving a lot of other people from being a victim. So for parents who really are looking for that support both before or even after if they are a victim of crime Think You Know is the best place to start? Yeah Think You Know and obviously the ACE website jump on both of those there's a uh, a lot of the Think You Know resources the ACE has assisted in developing as well but I think you just need to not panic if you see that you are a victim but just remember that I guess prevention is the best medicine and I can't stress enough that there is a large element of child exploitation that is totally preventable mm. a huge amount in fact and I think if we increased our efforts around having the conversations, making sure we're supportive when children come forward, we're going to be a lot stronger in, in combating and uh, making it harder for these kind of offenders to operate. Having children using their devices only in shared areas, is that something you'd recommend? Yeah, so I guess there's a number of things you can do as a family. Mm. So one of the another tool we have is the Family Online Safety Contract. That's a great tool because it sets out expectations and behaviours online for a family unit and that's a good way to regularly have that conversation and uh, so what I'd say to parents is you know if you're it's good to understand what your child is doing online so you should always be talking about like what are you looking at now what games are you on and all that sort of thing but it's also about understanding um, you know if your child does change their behaviours when they're doing online activities because that could be indicative of a need for another conversation at the very least mm -hmm. about what why why has that happened yeah, I think prevention is definitely the best medicine. And to keep revisiting this. I think yeah. I'll, I'll be downloading that contract when I get home. That yeah. might be a good place to start, I think. Yeah. Why do you think parents are hesitant to have these conversations? Is it a little bit embarrassing still? or? I think, well, some market research she did just one or two years ago showed us that only something like 52% of parents have a conversation with about online safety with their children. So only half. Yeah, so that is um, not a great statistic because, like I said, a conversation can totally prevent this from happening. I think there's a couple of factors that make it daunting. 
for parents. But a biggest, some of the biggest ones is really around, you know, maybe a lack of technological knowledge around devices and things like that. But like I said, there's so many tools out there. If you go to Think You Know, we've got the Seven Day Family Online Safety Challenge. There's some really um, clear advice around how to do things in relation to privacy settings, location settings. But a lot of uh, solutions lay in those conversations around, you know, what could be red flags, you know, what to do if you do, uh, you know, witness or get experience some of these behaviours or situations online and, you know, of course, how to report. So I think don't be afraid, don't be daunted. Go to the places where you can get those really tangible tools about what to do. Thank you so much, Commander Helen Schneider, for joining us to, on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. And that's the end of this episode of Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Make sure you go to the links in our show notes for resources and support. Remember, parents and carers, you've got this. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast provider and give us a like on your socials. And if you found this helpful, please share far and wide and rate and review it too so more people can find us. Even if it's just telling a friend about this podcast, that's great. We want to empower as many parents and carers as possible each and every episode. You can support the work of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation by visiting our website and donating or call us for more information on 1300 326 435. Thank you for never forgetting, Daniel. You guys are very much part of the solution. Please complete the survey Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next episode.